You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. It's not an easy ride in a country that has problems with both racism and homophobia, but this is the deck I've been given, and I try and deal with it in a very, very positive way. Writer E. Lynn Harris, today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Happy Pride! Our recognition of Pride Month continues today with a look back at my first interview with one of the most prominent African-American and LGBTQ authors of contemporary literature. E. Lynn Harris quit his job as a computer salesman in 1990 to begin a full-time writing career. His first novel, Invisible Life, won widespread acclaim. Then he followed that up with a book called Just As I Am. And that's when I first had the chance to meet him and interview him. We subsequently spoke several times over the next few years. In fact, over the next two decades, Harris had 10 consecutive New York Times bestselling novels. So here now from 1995, E. Lynn Harris. A novel is a lot more fun. You get a lot more readers. Even though I've been told that uh, a lot more people read nonfiction books, I wanted to tell a story and the characters actually did come into my head. I think the interesting thing is that a lot of people do think that this is real life, but it is, in fact, fiction. Well, maybe that's a tribute to how well it is written, that it seems so real that people... Do you find... I sometimes talk to novelists who who readers will come up and they'll ask about the characters as though they are still... as though they're alive and you talked to them yesterday and you had lunch with them last week. Is that happening to you? All the time, all the time. People (laughs) feel like... uh, um, they own these characters, that they know these characters. And, um, you know, in some of the signings that I've had recently, people will come up and ask me specifically about characters, and I'll go, I don't know, what do you think happened to him? You know, and they go, well, you should know, you know him, or you wrote it, you know. Um, and I just tell them, you know, I, I like to leave the reader um, the ability to use his own imagination his or her own imagination. Well, when you begin writing a story like this, what comes first to you? A character, a situation, a plot, a, a, a Their setting? name. Their name. Really? Their names. And usually the name will come to me at any given time, driving, uh, working out. And then when I know their full name, then I try to figure out who they are. And before I write a word, I know who my four main characters are and a little bit of a character sketch of you know, where they're from, what they do for a living, how old they are, how they might look. And um, once the name comes in, it, it becomes easy. Are you able then at that very early stage to figure out how the story is likely to end? No, because I'm in a novel now that I have no idea how it's going to end. <laughs> <laughs> Will you know by before you get to the last page? or? I hope so. I hope so. You know, <laughs> this one's very interesting. I know some things that are coming up, but I have no idea how this one's going to end. Well, now, if I might borrow your title for just a moment, when you get those characters at that very early stage, you more or less have to accept them just as they are. Right, you? right. But sometimes they surprise you. Sometimes... They change on you in in, uh, in midstream, and you may have to go back and and uh, find, well, I didn't know that about him, or I didn't know that about her. Uh, but it really is a, a wonderful process. And before I uh, became a novelist, I had no idea that things like this could happen. Mm-hmm. Give us just a thumbnail sketch, if you would, of where the plot takes us. The story is basically a story of people coming to terms with 
themselves, just as they are, uh, if you will. And it's a story of uh, Raymond Tyler, who's a character I introduced in my first novel, Invisible Life, and Nicole Springer, um, aspiring actress um, described as a Barbie doll dipped in chocolate, and how they deal with the everyday complexities of life, um, looking for love. Um, I always tell people that these books are more about the power of friendship, how important family is, and how you can do anything if you have faith. You know, those three things kind of get me through, and they seem to do my characters good stead, too. But there's no no shortage of challenges facing both of them as they find their way through the story. Most definitely, most definitely. Life would be pretty boring if everything happened the way we wanted it to. True, but also you can, as a novelist, you have to know where the balance is when you've thrown too much at a character and, and the, the reader says, oh, come on, not all of this would ever happen. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, because one of the things that people say is that I cover a lot of issues in, in the, my novels, and... What I think happens is just the everyday complexities of life. Um, the characters face some of the things that I myself face or friends of mine face. And I find that since I've become a novelist that I listen to conversations. I read newspapers and magazines with a different view now. Um, and so I just kind of put things in my novels that will cause my readers to think. You know, have a good time, but to also think. I suspect that there are a pretty fair number of straight white readers who will see the challenges that the characters must go through and, and realize, I, I never knew that, the, right. that that's the way it was. That's terrible. Well, you know, and that's the beauty of literature, you know, and that's one of the things that's been exciting in some of my signings this time around is that I'm seeing a different mix of people. I'm seeing all different types of people, and they all get it, and that's been really heartwarming for me because, you know, literature is the one place where you get to meet people you've never had the opportunity to meet you get to go places you may never have the opportunity to go and you get to make your own decision about how you feel about a particular situation a particular person or a particular environment I, I would I be safe in assuming that many of the kind of challenges that we've been talking about are the same ones that you've had to face almost definitely a lot of um, the main character Raymond when I was writing Invisible Life, I was first writing in third person. That was very, very difficult. I had to become him, if you will. I had to respond the way I think he would respond, and I had to give insights that I've uh, been fortunate enough to have in my own life in terms of, of telling this story of how a person comes to accept themselves just the way that they are. But It seems that the world is full of people who have no intention of accepting you the way you are. Right. Uh, and, again, that's something that for a lot of readers who, who for whatever their, their situation in life, have not had to face that particular, those particular challenges to who they are. And the mission, I guess, becomes finding a way to only deal with the positives and taking out negatives. That's one of the things that I'm, I'm working on constantly. And that sometimes, you know, writing a novel can be very therapeutic for me, saying, you know, well, hey, I was able to figure out how to deal with this situation with one of my characters. Why can't I figure out how to deal with it in my own life? And in, in the course of solving your own crisis, your own problem, your own challenge, you've, you've helped your characters and you've helped countless numbers of readers. Yeah, I get a lot of letters. I've received almost 2,000 letters to date uh, from people who in some way 
feel like these books have spoke to them, have touched them. And to me, that's that's quite remarkable. After this short break, E. Lynn Harris talks about segregation in the bookstore. Now back to my 1995 conversation with E. Lynn Harris. Is there any such thing anymore as african-american fiction or gay fiction or you know this this i mean you've as you're saying a moment ago you've got a lot of readers that that maybe you might not have expected to get there's a lot of there's a lot of books that have crossed over into mainstream fiction i think that they're just readers and i think that there's just fiction um one of the major change recently did away with the african-american section and i got called to ask what i thought about it, and i thought oh this is great that this means that Anybody who enjoys reading a good book will now have an opportunity to read mine because it's there. It's out front. They don't have to go to a special section to find my book or to discover someone like me who about a year ago was an unknown novelist. Wow. You know, I I, I couldn't help but recalling one of my uh, colleagues in the newsroom when she saw that my book was sitting on your desk and she said, you know, I, she says a friend of hers, a, a reporter in town, an African-American woman reporter, was talking about gay people one day. She said, I hate those people. And my colleague was aghast. She said, would would some reporter ever say that to a colleague about blacks, about mm-hmm. Jews, about whatever other group? But this woman said, that's just the way I was raised. My parents taught me I just hate those people. Those people. Those people is the way she referred to, to gays and lesbians. Mm-hmm. And and well, I said, my colleague was was so taken aback that that someone could still harbor that kind of attitude. It's because of, of of stereotypes and kinds of things that we do in fact learn in our environments, and it's it's really sad. Um, I think in my own life, every time you think that you have a group of people that you dislike, hopefully. What happens to me will happen to other people, and that is you meet someone from that group who dispels the myth, and you go, well, wasn't I wrong about that? Wasn't I wrong about these group of people? You know, I think that this world would be in a much better place if everyone had the opportunity, we were given enough time on this earth, to meet each other as individuals. So that if I decided not to like you, it wouldn't be based on the fact that you were a white male. It was based on the fact that we just didn't jail, rather than it being a label rather than being pre-assigned to some group where there are preconception and preconceived notions about them. Now, when you, when you try to put those concepts in a, in a story, you can't lose sight of the fact that, first of all, you've got to tell us a good story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the social message is really nice, and it comes But through, it has to be adds, subtle. And, and, and it adds to the story, but it's not the story. No, you don't want to hammer them over the head. You want to make them think, well, gosh, I never knew that. I never thought about it that way. I never considered what it might be like to be a member of this particular group or to be identified as one of these people or those people. Do you find that in some situations you have, in effect, you, you, you personally, a, a double whammy, being African-American and gay? Yeah, um, but this is the deck I've been given this time. So I have to deal with it. It's It's, it's not an easy ride in a country that has problems with both racism and homophobia. But this is the deck I've been given, and I try and deal with it in a very, very positive way. Hadn't always been that way, but what else am I going to do? And it's not even to say that there's a great deal of, of 
agreement of opinion within either the gay community, the African American community, just as there isn't among all men, all Americans. Uh, you know, absolutely, you- because these groups are reflective of the country of the whole. The African American community, we have uh, people who don't agree with what I'm doing in the gay community. We have people who don't, you know. Uh, agree with what I'm doing in terms of telling the story about two African-American men. Um, some of the criticism that I've gotten has come from African-American gay men who think the books have crossed over too much, that too many people are reading. Well, you can't please everybody. Not going to try to either. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it occurs to me, coming back to what you said a moment ago, you have, in effect, introduced us to these people, and granted, they're not flesh and blood, mm-hmm. but they are. you have introduced us to them and let us see through them what life is like and we can experience and if if we choose not to like them maybe it's because maybe their eating habits aren't ours right you know you know it's maybe some of the characters get on my nerves you know <laughs> so, so but that's the way they come to me and that's the way they turn out on the page wait a minute you don't like all your characters I, I didn't say that <laughs> of all my characters. Sometimes they get on my nerves. Well, everybody gets on somebody's nerves Absolutely. At, at some point or another. But if you don't feel passionately about your characters, either liking them or occasionally disliking them, we're not going to feel anything for them either, are we? Well, one thing I, I, I know I don't like, and that's perfect people. So, <laughs> And I haven't met any, fortunately. So I, I like people with all their flaws and with all their flavor. And all that stuff that's that's really wonderful about the human being and the human spirit. So now what is next for you? I'm working on a novel, the one that doesn't have an ending yet. <laughs> <laughs> have a title and have the characters, but uh, don't have an ending yet. And simultaneously I'm working on my memoir. So what it's really like, the real deal. You can say, this actually happened. Do you ever wake up in the morning surprised at where the course of your life has taken you? I wake up and thank my... God above and my lucky stars. It's the best job in the world. E. Lynn Harris died in 2009. He was 54. And you can get your copy of Just As I Am by following the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. And our website is where you'll also hear my 2000 interview with another major figure in the LGBTQ literary community, Armistead Maupin. I've been more autobiographical in this novel than I've ever been before. What I've done is basically cast the people I love the most in a psychological suspense story. And my 1993 conversation with the great Maya Angelou. I have never been able to say exactly what I mean. It's like trying to describe green to a person who is colorblind or a melody to a person who has difficulty hearing. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thank you for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything. Oh, we have a treat for baby boomers. Hey, kids, do you know what time it is? My 1990 interview with Buffalo Bob Smith. The television people came into the studio, saw my radio show, and say, hey, this fits very much in line with what we had in mind for kids. We were going to do a puppet show. Uh, We'll make another puppet. We'll call him Howdy Doody. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.